We're ending our series called I Believe this Sunday as we talk about the Holy Spirit and his work and particularly his work of creating faith in us and sustaining faith in us. The focus today is what that faith looks like and how it operates. So we're going to see that faith in action in the scripture that serves as the basis for the sermon today in Luke chapter 14. We're going to see an event and then at that event Jesus tells a story and then I'm going to preach about that. We're going to talk about it. Here it is from Luke chapter 14, beginning at verse 1. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. When he noticed, so he's carefully watching too, when he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor. For a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, Give this person your seat. Then humiliated, you'll have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, Friend, move up to a better place. Then you'll be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Then Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. This is the word of God. In Jesus' day, it was vitally important to climb the ladder. The corporate ladder, the social ladder, the neighborhood ladder, the church ladder. It was extremely important to, as you compare yourself with others, to always be progressing and advancing past your peers or the people around you to the highest place. Well, that wasn't just in Jesus' day, was it? Still true today. But what happens in Jesus' day is important because it's going to teach us something about ourselves and about, that hap- about how that happens today. Um, in Jesus' day, if you, you wanted to advance up the ladder, and that was extremely important and critical to you, what you needed was a patron. And a patron is like a sponsor in some ways. It's a person who is way more prominent than you are, has more wealth and, and more influence in the community than you do, and has a network that you just crave being part of because if you can only get in and get known to these people and they know you, then you can get the right job, live in the right house, be part of the right community and circles. And so it's all about connecting with this this patron and then the term for the person who connects with that higher-up patron, you're the client. So that's your relationship with the patron, you're the client. This dinner that Jesus attends is no potluck. Love him as we do. I think we should have more of them. But it's not a potluck. It's a prominent white glove dinner of this patron who invites his clients to this dinner. 
And perhaps if you're close enough to the patron and you're one of his clients that's moving up the ladder, you can invite one of your friends, just maybe, but not if you're low on the ladder. See, so there's this structure that comes into play as the patron invites his clients to this prominent dinner. And what's going on there? Everybody is carefully watching, not just Jesus, but carefully watching everybody else. That's how the ego works. And everybody has one. All the people at the dinner, including Jesus, have an ego. All of you, and including me, have an ego. And so we're going to learn from this today how, how myself, my, my ego works. My, my ego is my sense of self, is my sense of identity and importance. Right? My, my esteem, we use the term self-esteem, that's what, that's what our ego is, and it, and it works um, very hard every minute of every day. And we're going to see that in this event and in this story. Here are some things an ego will ask. Why can't I drive that nice car? Why don't I get to have that job or live in that nice house? Why does Matt get to play the piano and lead worship at church? Why does the pastor of Stonehill get to have a building? Why did Megan make the varsity cheerleading squad and I didn't? Why, if I'm such a moral person trying so hard, are things so difficult for me and life full of trouble? What about me? Me, me, me. See, that means that the human ego is incredibly busy thinking and thinking and thinking about itself. But there's more than that. Because it's not just myself on an island. That would be actually very easy to live on an island, not among other people who have their own egos too. Very easy. But we live among all kinds of other egos and all kinds of other people, and so we're constantly comparing ourselves to others. That's a busy ego or self. Constantly comparing to others. How do I rank in importance and, and on the ladder with everyone else who is here? Constantly comparing. And so Genesis chapter 3, verse 12. I have that as a reference. Go there in your Bibles or in your Bible app. Uh, and then also to Luke 18, verse 11. These are two examples in the Bible where we see how busy a person's ego is, their sense of self. Right? So Genesis chapter 3, verse 12 is when Adam and Eve had eaten the fruit. They had sinned in the Garden of Eden. And God comes to Adam and he said, what's, what's going on? What did you do? And Adam says, hey, whoa, easy on me. It was the woman you gave me, God. She's the one who gave the fruit to me. Oh, just come here. God, compare me to her, right? She's the one who got us in trouble. It's the ego is always comparing. 
Luke 18 is Jesus' parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. The Pharisee is righteous and proud and a very good person, actually. And a tax collector is a bad person. He cheats people. All right, so this verse in Luke 18 is where, uh, verse 11 is where the Pharisee comes to church and he folds his hands, actually he raises them to heaven, and he looks up with his nose in the air and his chest out, and he says, Dear God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers. Why does he feel so proud? Not because he lives on an island and he's the only one there, but because he's better than everyone else. That is the human ego busy, busy, busy at work. Comparing, comparing, comparing. In the Olympics, you do not get a gold medal for breaking your own personal record. You get a gold medal if you beat everyone else regardless of your personal record or theirs. See, life and getting on is all about where I am compared to other people. Well, at least we think it's that way, and then we think it has to be that way spiritually, too. Always drawing attention to myself, always trying to fill my emptiness of my ego, always trying to prove that I'm someone, but I have to do that as I compare myself to others. C.S. Lewis, in, in his book, Mere Christianity, um, had an incredible quote about how all of this works and about how the human ego works. And here's what he says. He points out that, that our ego by nature is so competitive, and he says, it gets no pleasure out of having something... A nice car, a nice house, a nice job, well-behaving kids, health. It gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more of it than the next person. What makes a nice truck? What makes a nice house? If you take our American culture and you plop it in the middle of some developing country cultures, those are going to be totally different. I mean, my beater truck with 260,000 miles on it that sometimes starts and sometimes doesn't would be a, a piece of luxury in class in some developing countries, right? It's all about how we compare to others. That's the dangerous part of our ego. All right, so I want you to see this, how this is playing out in this story. How, how egos are so busy. So these words, I have them up on the screen. These are words and phrases I've taken right out of this, this section of Luke. Every single one of these shows you how busy the ego is as it's comparing itself to others. Every single one. And then I have three dots between them. I don't know, there's probably 12 of them up here. A prominent Pharisee. What made him prominent? How he compared to other Pharisees. Care, Jesus was being carefully watched. What were they looking for? How is he different than other rabbis? Pick the places of honor. Someone invites you, but not someone else. A person more distinguished than you. Humiliated, you have to take the least important place compared to all those other ones. When you're invited, take the lowest place. Move up to a better place. Honored in the... He, Jesus doesn't say you'll be honored. 
He says, honored in the presence of all the other guests. See, Jesus knows the human ego and what makes the difference. In the presence of all, now they will see that I am honored. Husbands, do you know how your wife, when she looks in the mirror, what she thinks? And wives, do you know when your husband looks in the mirror what he sees? Two radically different things. This is true not just of couples, but of men and women in general. Women look into a mirror and think, Oh, I'm no good. I'm ugly, I'm fat, I'm too short, I look tired, I look old, I'm no good. Men look into a mirror and think, I'm good. That big piece of hair sticking out of my nose, I don't care. My bed hair, my collars don't match, ah, I'm good. Or even, ha, I'm Matthew McConaughey. Mm-hmm. Yep, rock star. All right, big guy, right? You could play in the NFL. That's how, that's, tell me I'm wrong, but that's how men and women look in the mirror differently. That's why on social media, you see women posting comments when there's a baby picture or a picture of a, a couple. What are, their, what are the women's comments? Guys, you read these, you look at them, you see them. Beautiful baby. Wonderful looking couple. Oh, I love that dress. Love, 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 love. Heart, 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 heart. Why, are, why do women comment that way? Because they know that when they look in the mirror, they think they're not good, and so they're building each other up. They're ministering to each other, not with the gospel, but just by knowing each other. They're, I want to help you because I know you're a woman and you think like I do, and you need to, you look good. Do guys do that on social media? Ted, I love those shorts. Right? So what do guys, guys know each other. We know, we look in the mirror and we think I'm a rock star. So how do we minister to each other? We post videos of guys doing stupid stuff <laughs> and making bad mistakes and paying the consequences for it, right? Guys right, trying to jump their BMX bike off a ramp and clonking their head on a tree limb, you know. And, uh, and that, see, God, we're ministering to each other as guys, saying, hey, dude, <laughs> you know, you're not that good. All of that is evidence and testimony to what I'm telling you right now. That the human ego is busy and it's at work, but it's also painful. That's why we feel like we need to minister to each other and help each other in that way out. The, the human ego is also painful. Uh, I, I show that to you again by these references. We're going to go to Genesis 3 again and to, and to Luke chapter 18. The same stories I mentioned before. Right, that show the human ego is painful. Genesis 3 then, after Adam and Eve sin, and God comes to the garden uh, right, to, to talk to Adam, and, and whoa, he can't, where'd Adam go? He can't find him. He had walked with him before, and now Adam's gone. He finds Adam cowering behind a shrub and says, Adam, what, what's happening here? What's going on? He say, Adam says, oh, I... I heard you coming in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. 
Adam is now in touch with his sinful, painful ego, and he has to hide. He never did that before. But now that he's wronged God, he knows he doesn't have in himself, in his own self-identity and importance, what it takes to be right with God, and he knows it, and it's painful. In Luke chapter 18, that story of the Pharisee and the tax collector, where is their pain in that story? If you know that story, the Pharisee isn't pain. The Pharisee is like, I'm good. The tax collector, the bad guy, who cheats people out of millions, Jesus says in that parable, won't even look to heaven. Well, it hangs his head beats his chest, which is like a sign you're beating yourself up, and says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Do I need to say a lot more to convince you that there's something wrong with your ego? It's true of Adam. It's true when Jesus teaches us in parables. And you know it in your own sense of self. I do too. There is something wrong with my sense of self and importance and identity. Either it tells me, you're no good. Or it tells me, you got it, man. And those are the extremes that are both wrong spiritually where we stand with God. And so we need to hear the truth. And Jesus tells it to us. He teaches it to us and he gives it to us in this story. Um, how do I take care of this? How do I take care of the fact that I can, I can go a whole day and within that day, how many times do I feel like I am such an idiot? I don't have what it takes. Or, I think, you know, if I were God, things would be a lot better. And there's something wrong with both of those. Jesus speaks, telling this parable, verses 8 and 9. When someone invites you, and your ego, to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, uh, give this person your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. So you go to school, you go to work, you go to neighbor's house, you go to parties, you go to church, all figuring out how you move up in the seating chart. You go to these places thinking, can I make a new acquaintance who can help me move up in the world? Can I network in a way that is beneficial for me? Can I meet a boy or a girl? Can I find that headhunter who thinks that I'm just the right one for the job? How will they like my new clothes or my new hairdo? Busy, busy, busy. And then guess what? 
then it, it never happens according to our expectations. Never. Because my ego's expectations are so high and so self-centered that it doesn't match God's view of the world and of me. And so my, my painfully busy ego that wants to be coddled and wants to compare myself to others and find myself in the most important place at the head table of life is always going to be let down. Always. And it'll never be good enough. And so the busier your ego becomes, the more painful it is. The more I let my ego do all this comparing, the harder it is on me. We, we heard that in James. All right, remember these verses in James. Now these are going to come alive, that I read these before, and I'm going to slot them in here. Listen to this. The busier my ego is, the more painful it becomes. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. Are you find yourself confused in life? Do you find yourself saying, that's just not fair? Is it hard to get along with others? Do you get in arguments? With yourself? With God? With people? God's poking his finger in your chest and saying, my child, the problem is right in here. Where I have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. Chapter 4, verse 1 says this, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Eve wasn't the problem. Adam was the problem. The Pharisee wasn't righteous because he was better than all the other people. The tax collector was righteous because he thought he wasn't. There is a difference between being humiliated and being humbled. All right? The first, being humiliated, usually results from a lack of the second, being humble. There's the lesson that Jesus teaches. If you want to be big and want to be exalted, go for it. You're going to be humiliated, either by other people or yourself or by God. And you're going to be on one of those Facebook videos that shows a guy on a BMX bike going off a ramp and hitting his head on a tree. Worse yet, God won't know you as his child. You will become so full of yourself, there's no room for him. And you will be humiliated forever in hell. And believe me, there's... There's no peace and joy and happiness and humbleness, true humility in that place. There's only devilish pride and egos that cannot manage themselves. There's a difference between humiliation and being humble. Make sure you know what that is. And avoid the former and live life in the latter, being humble. I want to show you, here it is on the screen, uh, Hebrews 12, verse 2. That's what Jesus did. 
Look carefully at this verse. This is so instructive for us as we see how Jesus now plugs into this. He's not just speaking a parable here, but he's the very Savior who, who, about whom it says this. In Hebrews 12, verse 2, For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross, scorning its shame. And after it was all said and done, after he rose from the dead, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, Scorning its shame. That word shame there is the exact same word in the original Greek language as humiliation. It's the exact same word that Jesus uses in this parable when he says, you'll be humiliated. It's that word. See this saying, Jesus scorned. He said, humiliation. He scorned it. How did he do it? He did it with joy. Jesus had an ego. He was a real human being. He still does. But Jesus' ego wasn't so busy that he didn't have room to take yours into his own. And Jesus' ego wasn't so already painful to him that he didn't have have room to take the pain of your own ego into his own. And that's what this verse is saying. Then what he did is he died for it. He took your pain. He took your busyness, your constant comparing. He took it to the cross and he killed it. And it died with him there. And he rose from the tomb and he walked out of the tomb and he stopped and he looked back and he said to your busy, painful ego, come on out. Follow me. Come on out of this tomb if you can. Silence. It stayed buried, and it is gone forever. And then it says Jesus was exalted to the right hand of God. Jesus humbled himself. He, re- he received humiliation, which was yours, not his own. And then he was exalted by the one that, to whom we submit ourselves and, and for whom it matters the most, and that's God. So Jesus, is he humbles himself, and he's exalted And uh, in your life, you're either going to be humiliated or you're going to be humble. It, It has to happen. You're going to be one or the other. Just take your pick. Do you want to be humiliated or do you want to be humble? That's that's the choice that we have. Jesus was humble. And he gives you the ability to manage your ego so you can be too. Um, Look at these verses 10 and 11. Jesus still teaches us. When you are invited to, to a wedding feast, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Don't you want to be the kind of person who looks in a mirror or sees yourself in the reflection of a window shop or of a window in a shop and you're neither totally enamored with yourself you, you don't admire yourself but you don't cringe either wouldn't you like to be that person wouldn't you like to be the person who in your imaginary life 
doesn't fantasize about hitting self-esteem home runs so that your name is at the top of the charts and makes the press and the church news and the company news and in your own heart. Don't you want to be the kind of person who's an Olympic swimmer and wins the silver medal and swims over three lanes over to the to the swimmer who won the gold medal and swims over to them and as the as the TV cameras are on instead of pointing to yourself or bawling your little eyes out that you didn't win the gold take their hand and raise it in the air and say congratulations good for you and you're as happy for that person as you are happy at a, at a beautiful sunrise or sunset and you and you're not thinking about yourself. I want to be that person. I don't beat myself up, tormented by regrets. I don't fantasize about being the best preacher in the world. I don't... Being humble means that I stop connecting every experience, every conversation, and every person to myself. That's a sign of being a humble person. I'm neither always tormented and despairing about myself, nor am I always proud and better of the next person. I'm neither of those. I'm living by faith in Jesus who went to the cross and made me his own. Listen, there's two kinds of people when it comes to ego. There's two kinds. One of them walks in the room and says, Here I am! The other walks in the room and says, There you are. Which would you like to be? Which does Jesus say, if it fills your life and you act on it, is going to exalt you? where it matters the most. Listen to his words, his final words here in this, in this parable. Then he, he turns to the host. So he's at this dinner, he was talking to the guests before, and now Jesus turns to the host and says, Hey, you host, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends. The, the, the Greek there is really saying, it's not saying never invite your friends. It's saying, don't so much always do this. But think outside the box a little bit, right? So don't so much always invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives, your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back and so you'll be repaid. Woohoo! But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Christian humility, in the essence of it, C.S. Lewis said this, Christian, Christian humility is not thinking more of myself and is not thinking less of myself. It's thinking of myself less. It's not connecting, it's not comparing, it's not busy, it's not painful. It's not always about me. 
It's about, boy, I'm having a party. What about those poor? What about the crippled? How will they get here? I, I need to have handicap access. I'm throwing a party. What about them? Walk in the room. There you are. I'm so glad you came. Crippled one. Blind one. Poverty-stricken one. And then your brother-in-law, brother-in-law walks in the room. Here I am! And you have a lesson to teach him. Here's the final point. There's two words I want you to compare in, uh, in the words that were just up that Jesus said at the end. Two key words, blessed and repaid. All right? Jesus says, if, if your ego says, I want what's coming to me, I want what I deserve, I, I'm going to have this party, I'm going to network, I'm going to invite all the prominent people, and it's going to be good for me. He says, you want to do that? Guess what? You'll be repaid. And that word there means, get what you deserve. Uh, recompense. You, you'll get it. If, if you want attention and importance, you can work it in this world so that you receive it. And where will that get you? At some point, it'll be very painful because then it won't be good enough. And through the process, you're going to be very busy. Jesus says, instead of being repaid, you, when you, when you humble yourself... And, and aren't self-absorbed and let Jesus into your world and think about others first, you will be blessed. Blessed means spiritually happy, content, and in a good place. Blessed means I don't rely on what comes from the outside it's for my ego to be good. Blessed means it, it comes from the inside. And that's where the Holy Spirit has given you the gift of faith. You will, it's a promise of Jesus, you will be blessed. And oh, by the way, on top of that, you're also going to be repaid too. God will, God will give to you what's coming to you because of his grace and his goodness at the resurrection of the righteous. At the last day, when it's time to go to heaven, you're in. Because you have this on the inside, this heart. And God, the ultimate patron is God who loves you unconditionally who gave you his own son who promises through his son to bless you your ultimate patron is not your ego and it's not someone else and it's not your boss and it's not your neighbor and it's not your spouse and it's not me your ultimate patron is God and so then this story came out this week this is another Olympic story I read this just a few days ago. Katie Ledecky, the, that awesome uh, gold winner, that, that swimmer who won all the gold medals, and I think there's one silver there you can see. You standing next to Michael Phelps, and they're at that gang from the representing the United States and are just our dominance of gold medal winning. She had an offer for endorsements that totaled $5 million a year because she got, gained such attention and such importance, and now she's this great swimmer. She had endorsements. Probably including from Nike, I'm guessing, and that's who's endorsing Michael Phelps. You can see the Nike logo on his shorts. Not wrong at all. Not wrong at all to, to get endorsements. If they'd come to me and ask to endorse me, I might be wearing Nike shorts now too. But Katie Ledecky said no. I do not want $5 million a year. What was the trade-off? Why did she say that? Because she want, if you're endorsed like that, 
you can no longer swim in the NCAA. And she's in college and she has a team. And she said, what's important to me is A, my passion for swimming. And that passion is, is part of swimming as part of a team. And she wants to go back to Stanford and be in college and compete another year with who with these teammates and she's not just thinking of Katie she was thinking of her team and participate I'd want her on my team if I was on a swim team that's a managed ego and that's how you and I can live with perspective and with wisdom confident in our identity our importance you are a gold medal winner more than five or six times because of what God has done for you in Jesus Live that way, be humble instead of humiliated, and you will be blessed. Amen.